coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. These master sommeliers would get up from the table, say thank you, and leave, and leave me all the bottles of like, you know, like <laughs> verticals of Opus One and that kind of thing. So I, I had, it was, a, it was always a party at my house that night. I still remember meals I ate in third grade. It's, it's a very dubious skill. I mean, it's, it's, I found the one job where it's actually valuable. I am extremely conscious of every time I say a negative thing, every, every negative review has immediate consequences for that business. So right. I don't do it lightly. If this week in, in the United States, 400,000 head of beef are slaughtered and 13,000 of those are grass-fed, how can every menu have a grass-fed burger? <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the math doesn't work. So. Right. Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to. But you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button and new episodes will automatically download. And then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, we talk with Laura Riley, the former Tampa Bay Times food critic. We caught her on our last day just before she left to go to the Washington Post. We talked to Laura about how she judges different types of restaurants based on what they're trying to be. We also talk about what she thinks of the review site Yelp and dishonesty and misrepresentation in the food system. We have a great show, so stick around. We talk a lot about Anata and why you really must go. But don't just take our word for it. Now we have reason to congratulate them on making revered food critic of the Tampa Bay Times, Laura Riley's list of top cheese and charcuterie for 2019. Anata is one of only four that made that list. That's pretty incredible. Here is what Laura had to say about Anata. Before I ditched anonymity as a food critic, I declined to be Facebook friends with chefs, restaurateurs, and readers. I tell you this because I now realize what I was missing. The past few months, when I have an idle moment, I see what Anata's executive chef Joshua Breen is posting, snaps of plate presentations as artfully composed as any Dutch golden age still life. Anata is still the go-to if you want to concoct a board of cheeses and salumi served with excellent accoutrements and crackers, but don't neglect the rest of the menu, from really lively salads, a good bowl of mussels with melted leeks, and a whiny buttery broth, to the daily fish special that seems to be one of Breen's chief social media muses. This is what we have been saying all along, so I will say it again. Thank you, Laura, and you really must go to Anata. Anata Restaurant and Wine Bar is located at 300 Beach Drive in downtown St. Petersburg. They open every day at 4 p.m. Thanks for listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. I am Kevin Godby. My co-host is Lori Brown. And our guest today is now the former restaurant critic at the Tampa Bay Times, and she has been a critic since 1991. Please welcome Laura Riley. Welcome to the show, Laura. Yes, Thanks welcome. for having me. It's great. Thank you. So your next gig is the Washington Post, not as a critic, but still in food. Yep. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Just for any of our listeners that don't know, you have been with Tampa Bay Times since 2007. Before that, you were with the San Francisco Chronicle and the Baltimore Sun. I just want you to know I did my homework. Sounds good so far. I can refute nothing. You've authored four books, won the Paul Hansel Award for Distinguished Achievement in Florida Journalism, and you were nominated for a Pulitzer Prize for Criticism and a James Beard Award for Investigative Reporting. Those were both in 2017, yes? Mm -hmm. Yep. Let's do a quick little background on you. Where where did you grow up and go to school? 
I kind of grew up all over the place, a little bit kind of bi-coastally and abroad for quite a bit. My dad was a, a nuclear physicist, so he did a lot of popping around. So I was in Oak Ridge, Tennessee in, in kind of middle school and West Germany and California a couple times and went to high school in Connecticut and went to college in Virginia. So a little bit of everywhere. Got wow. a list there. Yeah. Where did you go to school in Virginia? University of Virginia. You are also a runner. I when, am indeed. That's how you stay so thin. We, we don't hate you because you're thin and pretty <laughs> anymore. We did it first. Yeah, well, no, running is definitely no. But I think that my, my weight is just a freakish metabolism thing you know my parents were they, they kept saying you know when you turn 30 you're gonna really have to start watching it because you know i eat, out, I eat five thousand yeah. calories a day sometimes you wow. know just in the name of in the name of the okay, game now i do hate you but uh, <laughs> and then i hit 30 nothing happened hit 35 nothing happened but the running really didn't start in earnest until i was approaching the big five oh oh wow and, yeah and that was definitely i was i was having kind of a, a a psychedelic freak out about the whole thing and my husband said well just why don't you set a goal like run a half marathon i said oh i can't do that you know i'm just a little plodding three miler you know and I did it and I, I fell in love with it so now it's I'll do Gasparilla the weekend after next and then one in DC a couple weeks after that yeah so it's a thing for you it's now. a thing yeah, it's a, yeah, it, I yeah. guess I guess obsession yeah that's exciting you know I, I told you before I used to run yes you did um, my first marathon was Marine Corps oh, in, in DC that's awesome oh, yeah that is wonderful yeah. long time ago regarding reviews and critiques for example to me that's your opinion but it's based on your knowledge and experience, which for you includes going to culinary school. Where does objectivity and subjectivity start and end? For example, there are opinions and personal tastes. Like, I like spicy food. Somebody else might not like spicy food. Neither one of us is right or wrong in that respect. But there's, I'm not going to name names, but there's a restaurant that we've been to a few times. We give it three tries. and I've three, actually been four. Yeah, three or four strikes <laughs> and they're out. And Lori and I both just feel that there's like zero seasoning in the food. It's like so tasteless that I say it tastes like air. Mm -hmm. But then other people rave about it. That is the best. I'm guessing those other people are wrong, but. <laughs> yeah, so am I. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, I honestly feel like, I mean, this is something I say to kind of groups when I speak in, at, at groups is that we, we all, I mean, obviously we all go out to eat. We all have very strong, you know, deeply held opinions about what constitutes good food and what's bad food. I think that what makes a food critic, especially a lifelong food critic, a little different is that I, I draw on a huge number of restaurants that I'm comparing a restaurant to. And I'm not comparing it to every restaurant that ever existed or kind of like a platonic ideal restaurant in that space. I'm comparing this taqueria, you know, $2.50 taco place to all the other $2.50 taco places that I've been to. So I think that you do have a lot more object objectivity. It's not about my, oh, this is yummy. You know, it's, it's how does this, what is this restaurant's objectives? What, what is it trying to do? What is it, how does it see itself? I mean, we all have a sense of self that may or may not be accurate. And every restaurant has an agenda, something that it's trying to achieve. So my first goal is to figure, what, figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then it is to compare, to say, does it, does it succeed in its objectives? And does it, win out over all the other restaurants at precisely that price point, at precisely that cuisine, at precisely that ambition level. So I think then you really are comparing, you know, you have to have a really big Rolodex of, mm -hmm. of things to compare. And I think you, it also helps if you have a really good taste memory so that, you know, I think for wine tasting, I think that, um, you know, I, for when I first started out, I was the recording secretary for the Sommelier Association of California um, at a culinary school. And it was awesome because I wow. got to go to, wow. yeah, so it was all the master sommeliers would get together once a month. The single best part about it was that I would take the notes, I would set up the spit buckets, I would, you know, observe all the stuff, and I'd try to figure out what they're talking about, pencil it and, you know, cigar box. <laughs> I'm like, ah, I don't get it one bit. The forest floor. Yeah. But, <laughs> but then these, these master sommeliers would get up from the table, say thank you, and leave, and leave me all the bottles of, like, you know, like <laughs> verticals of Opus One and that kind of thing. So I, I had, it was, a, it was always a party at my house that night. But anyway, no, I think that, that those guys, one thing I realized is that they're comparing all the wines that are on the table, but they're also comparing each wine to other wines that are like it in mm -hmm. terms of mm -hmm. um, uh, style, price point, you know, ambition level. So that you have to have a memory of those tastes. Um, and I think that that's a really helpful thing. And, and I think some people just have that. I mean, I, I definitely am someone who I still remember meals I ate in third grade. Wow. You know? it's, it's a very dubious skill. I mean, it's, it's, I found the one job where it's actually 
valuable. Like I also have a lot of <laughs> 70s rock lyrics in my brain. No use for those. Like I haven't found a job that would make them, you know. I have that too. And yes. I, I have that with movies as well. And one of the things we do on the podcast, I don't know how many people get to the very end, but we have an Easter egg. So when the credits roll and we're done completely, there's a movie clip an audio clip from a movie that relates to something restaurant or, and or food. Wonderful. In, on everyone. Oh, good. Okay. And I get, every once in a while I get stunned. I don't think anyone's ever heard it but me and I. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but, you know, I'll, well, I'll get stunned. I will listen to the end. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of good ones. And sometimes I throw them in in the middle of conversations too. Yeah, that's a very good, all the, those points you brought up. I really liked the way you said that because I hadn't really thought about price points as much as I think about flavors and all of that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So trying to make it, in, in this case, uh, would I be correct in saying that you're trying to make it as much of an apples to apples comparison. Yes. And here's what I say about this place based on, like you said, what they, what they are trying to do, sure. and how they see themselves, but also compared to other similar Yeah. Places. I mean, a, a restaurant is setting up expectations in your brain by everything that it does, by its signage, by the menu, whether it's a printed menu or you know, a laminated menu or a menu with pictures on it. All those things are indications for you to... Um, socket away you know this what is this restaurant what's mm-hmm. it trying to do and how does it compare to other restaurants that are similar that you've been to mm-hmm. right and also speaking of reviews what's your take on yelp so i think that when yelp started it was the wild west and it was uniquely unhelpful in every way <laughs> because it was largely I and mean, this is you know 16 years 17 years ago now i mean it's a long time or 15 mm-hmm. i don't know something it's, it's been around for a long time so when it first started it was punitive. So if you'd gone to a restaurant and the hostess had been snippy with you or made you feel small, it was a way to have vengeance. Mm-hmm. So there was that. Mm-hmm. There, were, there was a lot of backstabbing, former employees, that kind of thing. And then you'd have the, so you'd have the worst, worst meal I ever ate right next to the, the best meal I ever ate, which is the chef's mom, mm-hmm. right? So right. I, think it was, I think it was not helpful at all in the beginning. And I think as it's grown and as it's matured and as more people contribute, it starts becoming a legitimate snapshot of a restaurant. If you have a thousand reviews, um, even if 400 of those people are kind of idiots, you start seeing a consensus build. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, it, as, as, especially in markets where people really care about food, I think Yelp in New York is a pretty valuable tool because there are a lot of people who care deeply about the food they eat and pay attention and have the vocabulary. I mean, there's nothing worse than those Yelp reviews that are like, you know, the poutine was on fleek. Like, what, what on earth do you mean by that? Like, could you give me a little description there? Like, right. What does fleek mean to you? Right. You know? Right. Right. So I, I do think it's, it's come of age and that there is rough justice and that, that restaurants, it is a meritocracy and the good ones succeed and the bad, one, bad ones fail. And, mm-hmm. and if you get a thousand people, there will be some kind of consensus about which fit into which category. Okay, so... It's, I mean, it's just hard, though, sometimes when you, you look in the top 10 Yelp restaurants and you have Perkins or you have Denny's or, you, have, you know, it's like, really? Yeah, well, a lot of people have <laughs> I know. T- timid or conventional tastes, right. and that's why it always pulls a little bit for kind of the Waffle House trip. Mm-hmm. Right, and there's also well, what you were saying, Lori, kind of relates a little bit to, to where I'm going next, but before I go there, um, yeah, so Yelp, you're saying they... Not so bad anymore, I guess, maybe. It, it, when we talk to restaurateurs, it seems that the majority are not big fans of Yelp, but they probably are focusing just on those really dumb reviews. I think also it's because a lot of Yelpers go into early, you know, they go in on week two of a restaurant, expect everything mm-hmm. to be up to speed. And, and you know, restaurant, it works with 300 ingredients and, you know, 50 different vendors and tons of kind of misanthropic, you know, kind of difficult kitchen people and flighty front of the house people. And it's a lot of moving parts. So mm-hmm. to get it all, you know, firing appropriately the first couple of weeks is an unrealistic expectation. So in general, Yelp, not so bad, better than it, better than it used to be or better than it is based on what some restaurateurs might think of it. And we know other restaurateurs that actually love it. Uh, there's not going to name names again, but uh, we know somebody who invited a bunch of Yelpers to a dinner, oh, you right. know, so like opposite end. And one of the things like, that you were talking about, Lori, that things that like something, somebody posted in our Facebook group the other day, hey, where can I get French onion soup? And I knew one or two places off the top of my head. And I like, put those. I'm like, well, let me just, I'm going to, I'll Google it for you. Okay. So I Google it <laughs> and I get this Yelp list and, and it's actually titled, you know, uh, best French onion soup in St. Petersburg. And was it, it how, how was the list? But it wasn't, it was a terrible list. It had a, a whole bunch of places that I knew of that did not have French Didn't onion soup. It, yeah. They were just used, in that case, it, it wasn't, it didn't have a human author. 
It was mm-hmm. an algorithm sure. that said which places in this area have the word onion and the word French somewhere in a review. And that's <laughs> or, how they, or soup. And that's how they compile it. So, which leads me into, it seems like my, my impression, found out you're leaving Tampa Bay and you want to get a really good last licks on on best of list because a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff came out recently. And we were enjoying it. And I think a lot of people, restaurants were enjoying it. So when you do that, how do you, how do, you do a ranking? Like, for example, now, earlier when we talked about reviews, you, you had a good explanation about how it's kind of doing, comparing the 250 taco place to the other 250 and what they want to be. What about when it's like the top 10 or the top 50, whatever, restaurants in Tampa Bay? How does number one differ from number two and number 10 and number 50? Um, well, so this year's, this year's list, it was very static from last year. There were only a couple of newcomers on the list. Um, Dr. Barbecue is a new, a new one. And mm-hmm. I, got, I took a lot of heat for that. And people, barbecue, <laughs> barbecue joint. Anyway, no, I mean, I think that, that one thing I realized this year in, in kind of coming up with the, the bigger list, uh, there was a huge amount of, of novelty, new restaurants, you know, the kind of, all the big food halls. Uh, it was a monster year, 2018, for it growth was. on both sides of the bay. And a lot of notable newcomers, uh, things that, that are really solid. Um, but... That said, I felt like the, the places that really rose to the top in terms of exceeding your expectations, delivering on every promise, service, ambiance, having all those things come together in, in a flawless, seamless way, it was a pretty consistent list from the previous year. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan, obviously, of, of Rooster in the Till and, and the Reading Room, and I, I see a lot of commonalities between those two restaurants. I see them being as careful about sourcing as you can be in the Tampa Bay area, which is, you know, you can't you can't make yourself crazy about it, you know. I mean, it's it's impossible to source entirely locally. So right. you, do, you do the best you can, and you you and are, and you're transparent about the rest of your sourcing. Right. Um, I thought that Noble Rice had an incredible year this year because they shifted away from just kind of a traditional, more traditional um, itzikaya and sushi menu to an omakase, and 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 that's a really risky move in a market like the Tampa Bay area because there just isn't a tradition of that here. So it's kind of ballsy to, to say, I am going to, you're going to put your evening in my hands and I'm going to serve you some stuff that wows you. And you're not going to know precisely what it is until it's set down in front of you. And that, that's, a, <laughs> that's a complicated trust uh, relationship that you build with someone. Um, so I, I was pretty impressed. I mean, I had one just rock star meal there um, kind of towards the end of the year. And, and I just, you know, it's not a glamorous space. I don't know if you guys, have you guys been over there? We haven't. No. Yeah, I mean, I know you, you tend to be on this side, but like it's, it's worthwhile going over there, but it's not, you'll walk in and it's, it's kind of, it's not, it's a little modest, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of funky. It's got kind of a little bit of a hipster vibe, but they're doing such ambitious, kind of that pure, spare, um, high-end Japanese. Nice. Cool. Wow. That so, sounds like it's worth a trip. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple of big splashes that you made in the last year or two, uh, one was your investigative reporting article farm to fable and then when you also when you came out that's the one you won the pulitzer for correct no i didn't win i was a a finalist finalist finalist. got it right and then when you uh decided to ditch anonymity now those are two big topics that we're not going to get into all the details here they're online people can google it however is there any follow-up to either one of those or anything additional you'd like to add now well i have a question when you did come out so what what was the thing that caused that to happen? It was actually Paul Tash, the publisher of the Tampa Bay Times. Really? He, came, he kind of loomed over my desk one day and said, have you, have you revisited the idea of anonymity? Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd been there for 10 years. And, and I think at a certain point when you're in a market that long, people start to know who you are. So it's a little bit of a myth mm-hmm. that, that you know, restaurateurs who were really interested in knowing who I was and what I look like, they had my picture in the yes. kitchen. And most of the restaurants don't care. You know, right. I mean, most of the waiters are just doing their job and they're not looking for a little white lady with a big nose, you know. Right. <laughs> so I think that it was a little bit of an illusion um, that I had anonymity. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all felt like there were stories that I couldn't do because I didn't. I was, you know, right. narrative stories, immersion stories, stories where you were in the kitchen looking over someone's right. shoulder. Yeah. It was hard to do that if you're worried, if you're hung up on people knowing what you look like. I also couldn't, you know, do panel discussions or, you know, uh, you know, lead a, a talk on something or, you know, talk to the Kiwanis Club or, you know, judge all those a, kinds judge of things. Judge a chili cook-off. Judge a chili cook-off. So those were things that we were, that I think we'd always felt like the trade-off made sense for us. And I think we, we looked at it last January and we thought, well, 
there are lots of sto- lots of other kinds of stories beyond reviews that are worthwhile doing in the food space. I mean, it's such a vast topic, and, and you can yes. kind of tell any story through food. And there were stories that I wasn't able to tell because of that constraint. And I think that we convened a group of people to talk it over about what, what do we gain, what do we lose, and, and we just figured we'd gain more than we lost. So how did it feel for you once you did um, it? Was it? It felt like all of a sudden I was just a normal beat reporter, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, if you report on the school board, you're going to see those school board members and they might not all like you and you just have to suck it up. And mm-hmm. I think that I'd always had this kind of cloak, you know, this mm-hmm. kind of like pay no, you know, behind the curtain kind of thing. And I think it makes you more conscious of the fact that you do impact people's bottom line. You know, there are people who don't like me and they have reason to not like me because of things I've said about them. So I, I you know, to them, I would say I'm extremely conscious of Every time I say a negative thing, every, every negative review has immediate consequences for that business. So right. I don't do it lightly. Right. And anything additional on Forum to Fable? Well, I think in the aftermath of that series, I was you know, feeling really chuffed and like, wow, I made a difference. You know, the thing about, about food, the thing, food is such a trust-based retail experience. You know, someone says Dover Soul and you go, okay, you know, mm-hmm. it's got a cream sauce on it, the lighting's low. It could be anything. It could be tilapia from Sam's Club and probably often is. So I, I think the unfortunate upshot of, of that series is that maybe it made consumers a little bit more um, skeptical about some claims. But shysters are going to be shysters. And there is no oversight of, of that kind of um, misrepresentation on, on, on menus around the state and around the country. I mean, it's a, a chronic problem. You know, seafood is frequently misrepresented all kinds of things about beef are misrepresented i mean it, th- there is no way if if in if this week in in the united states 400,000 head of beef are slaughtered and 13,000 of those are grass fed how can every menu have a grass fed burger <laughs> mm-hmm. the math doesn't work so right. you know there there are a lot of things that you need to as as a consumer you need to be skeptical of and and the best way forward is for all of us to consistently ask questions not in a confrontational way but you know, what do you mean by that? And can you explain more about that? And, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I, I think that, that we can all, a, a, little, a little bit of skepticism goes a long way for every restaurant goer. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to get a little bit more into that right after the break. We will be right back. When you think of engine number nine, what do you typically think of, Kevin? Amazing burgers. Yes, very creative, very inventive, kick-ass burgers. But they also have a great New Orleans-inspired other half of the menu. Remember the gumbo I had recently? Ooh, that was really good and nice and spicy. I was surprised you finished it. I know. The roux is just so flavorful and delicious. Besides the gumbo, they also have jambalaya, a few sriracha dishes, and the hot dogs are awesome. And you can't forget the best fried pickles in town, and I am talking pickle spears. Yeah, I've seen you eat those pickles for your whole meal. Yeah, for my birthday once, remember? But what we're trying to say is check out engine number nine for your favorite burger and so much more. Yes, you will love Engine Number 9. They are in downtown St. Pete on the corner of 1st Ave North and MLK. And try the Black Flag Burger and the Chili Dog. You can thank me later. Engine, engine number 9, going down the railroad line. We are back with Laura Riley, former restaurant critic from the Tampa Bay Times currently with the Washington Post. Well, this is actually going to come out on your second day on the job. We're All right. Re- uh, March, March 5th. Everyone cross right. your fingers for me. We're, we're recording on February 12th. Yes, and you're done in two days, correct? Yeah, Thursday. So, Valentine's Day. So no more food critic, but you're still going to be writing on the business of food, and correct me if I'm wrong, including investigative journalism and the food system, which you already have some experience with. We already talked about a little bit. I want to hear the Burns Five Acre Organic Farm story. (laughs) Well, yeah. So the Washington Post, I mean, that was just, I saw the job description and it was like my fairy godmother wrote it. You know, it was just kind of um, food disruptive technology and agriculture, you know, climate change and ag, um, food justice issues, so food access, you know, food deserts, food swamps, you know, food instability or, you know, insecurity. 
all of those things are things that have increasingly taken up brain space uh, for me in recent years. You know, I guess I've kind of like backed off of the of just what's on the plate and kind of mm-hmm. thought more about kind of what's you know, I, you how know, did it get to the got, plate? Yeah. If we're if we have 10 billion people by 2050, our food system has a lot of kinks to work out. You know, we mm-hmm. got a billion people malnourished and a billion people morbidly obese. So we're doing something completely wrong. Yeah. Right. So it it seemed like a, a an amazing opportunity to write at a national level and to write about kind of bigger picture things. It will be the first time in 27 years that I haven't had someone else picking up my tab for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Wow, that's really exciting. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So were you looking or this just happened? I wasn't looking. A buddy of mine sent me a, a text that just said, dude. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, what? You know, what? What do you got? And he sent me a link to the to the job description, and I I thought, well, I gotta I gotta apply. Mm-hmm. That's I can't, exciting. I can't not. Wow. So did Farm to Fable help with that? You think? That I think piece? so. I mean, I think that it's it's on the business desk, so they needed to know I wasn't just a, a frou frou features guy. You mm-hmm. know, um, I think that that those kind of investigations are important. I mean, I, I pitched a bunch of things like that would be extremely expensive and exciting to do, and they didn't blink an eye, so I'm assuming that that's a piece of what they want me to be doing. It's it's nice to have a budget. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I I look forward to that. Well, besides her tab being. So, all right, so you wanted wanted to talk about the Burns Farm? Yes, yes. All right, so this was actually like, I I don't know if you've ever had uh, Jeff Halk on your show? No. Mm, Do you know him? Anyway, so this is one, we we had a big smackdown, me and him, but uh, when he was at the Trib and I was at the then St. Pete Times, Mm So I'd been to Burns for dinner, and the waiter was going through the spiel of, you know, we, we grow all of our produce on our five-acre organic farm. And I said, it was July, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's July in Tampa. No way. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what on this plate would be from your farm? And he completely BSed. Oh, those mushrooms and these carrots and this and this. And I was like, absolutely not. So that next week, I got in my car, and I drove over to where where the farm was listed on, on I guess it was on their website, and um, it was completely enclosed, you know, high fence, you know, kind of all you really couldn't see in, except that there was a, a, a chain around the gate that was wide. And I kind of snuck in utterly illegally, but I didn't at the time, <laughs> I didn't precisely know what was legal and what wasn't. But um, I mean, now we would have just sent a drone over it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but this was pre drone. And I, I looked, and there clearly nothing had been grown on this property for a couple of years. I mean, it was just wow. tumbleweeds and you know, not, no, no evidence wow. of a farm. So I had to go back to David Laxer and, and sit down with him one on one and say, you know, what what gives? Like there was no farm at your farm. And he was like, oh, well, we're in the process of of moving it across the street. And this is he ended up selling that land, and it's a a, a Wawa and a soccer field now because his kids. He's very avid into youth soccer. Um, so, you know, he was he was transitioning the farm across the street to, I think, what had been his mom's house. But it was the idea that it was a five acre organic farm. You know, it was some potted herbs, basically, on the other property. You know, it was not that was like that's like me having some basil in my backyard and saying I have a farm. You know, it, right. was, a, it was a gross misrepresentation. So I said to him, you know, well, why are your waiters still saying that if, if in fact that's not the case and you oh well you know it's it's part of their training it's what they've always said but it's like but it's it's not true it's not true mm-hmm. and then the rest of them there was some big verbiage on the at, you know it's one of those menus where you could read and read and read you right know, it's like you know the you'll Bible see something, something different yeah. every time yeah. but so like that one of the last pages of the the menu said something like you know about the organic farm and then and we source organically whenever possible so I asked him point blank, well, you have this sentence on your menu. How often is that? What percentage of the, the produce that you buy, which is now 100% of your produce, what percentage of that is organic? And he said way less than 20%. So it was a, it was a pretty gross misrepresentation. Wow. Um, and, and I do admit that, you know, that I may have caught him in between you know, taking the farm from over here to over there. But it's a much more modest venture now, and I, I mean, I would call it a like a victory garden. It's not a it's not a farm. It's not like there's no tractor, you know. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no guy in overalls, you know. It's right. It's and I think you know it's some microgreens. It's some things that are are great for a restaurant to provide for themselves, and probably cost effective to to do. But it, it was a to me there was no need given all of the mythology about Burns in every other arena. You know, the wine list, the you know the dessert room, et cetera. There were, there were so many laudable and amazing things about that restaurant I thought well why exaggerate this you know what right, and, and an exaggeration of this magnitude about that call makes you ask what else is exaggerated mm-hmm. and there's so there's there's a lot of bs in the food system 
figuratively and literally. Absolutely. Be, or it's cow poop. I yeah. Guess. Sadly. <laughs> it would yeah. kind of be like the reading room saying they had a farm. They have yeah. a garden. They, they have, have a garden. huge garden and it's wonderful. Well, that's, and I mean, they get food from there. What's they, the difference between a farm and a garden? I mean, I guess true. that's a question we should ask. Well, there's like, no, no one in overalls with a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> or, or a farmer with a furrowed brow. Yes. Right. You, exactly. you said that on another podcast. <laughs> I think you're, you're talking about whole foods and yeah. how, I forget exactly, but they, they use some terminology. Oh, that, responsibly like, grown. Responsibly like, grown. Like legally, totally meaningless like right. Right. thanks thanks right. the, for being responsible the farmer with the furrowed brow that's <laughs> yeah. It. Yeah. but by the way uh you know amazon owns uh whole foods yes and the washington yes. post and the washington post so i gotta <laughs> gotta be a little careful might have to interview yeah. bezos on that one yes so what kind of feelings do you have about leaving tampa bay well i feel like i kind of got here and the party got good right you mm-hmm. know i mean i when I moved to the Tampa Bay area in 2004, I guess, we went out with a realtor in New Tampa. I was living, and my, my husband's an academic at USF. And we went out with a realtor, and, and she said, oh, you're a food writer. Well, we've got everything. We've got Olive Garden <laughs> and Red Lobster. And over here, we, and I was just, I mean, I couldn't even look at my husband. I was like, what, what, what have you done to me? Like, Because we were oh moving God. from the San Francisco Bay area to Tampa. And, you New know, Tampa is all changed. And it was, I mean, it was really, it was a testing ground for chain concepts, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that we have come so far in the past five or six years. And, you know, I credit the rise of craft beer and, you know, micro distilleries. And I think the return of a lot of millennials that, you know, went away to college and then ended up coming back because there was affordable real estate and, you know, and they had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. So I think, I mean, St. Pete, especially, I think especially, has benefited yeah. from past five or six years in terms of, you know, restaurant growth and just nightlife growth and, and kind of vitality in its downtown. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a rough time to leave because it feels like there's a, there's a lot of um, momentum right now. Well, because of you, I'm going to start reading the Washington Post. Good, please do. Because <laughs> I, I, I think it'll be really interesting. So again, related to the uh, food system, technology is something that help, can help reduce misrepresentation, which we have too much of right now. Yeah, so anytime I say the words blockchain technology, people's eyes roll back, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but I think that, that we have the technology right now to track our food in a, in a non-hierarchical, open platform way um, from its point of origin to its end user. We can do that. It's not, you know, a super future kind of woo-woo concept, um, but there are a lot of unfortunate truths that are revealed in, in that. Um, you know, we could have uh, a table tent on every restaurant table that says the fish tonight, um, just swipe it with your phone and it will tell you the date it was caught, the captain, all of the kind of details about that fish. And unfortunately, it reveals that it was caught, the fresh fish was caught, you know, 18 days ago, that kind of yeah, thing. Too or, much truth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, eggs, you know, we routinely eat eggs that are 40 days old. So there, there are a lot of things about our food system that would be revealed if there were greater transparency. But I think it's an inevitability. I mean, some of these, I met with a, a woman at UF who is doing, um, developing smart labels that you can scan and it will tell you whether that food product has been kept at a proper temperature the entire time. You know, hmm. it, it, will, it, will, it will give you a full readout, you know, a graph basically about the temperature that that food's been kept at since it's, since it's packaging. Wow. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, I mean, it's an exciting time and I do think that that's an important thing, especially, you know, 2018 was a huge foodborne illness year mm-hmm. uh, for, yeah. for a lot of reasons. Yes. And I mean, not all bad reasons. I mean, some of it is that we're better at detection and that doctor's offices have more, um, you know, in-office tests that they can do for Vibrio or for, you know, Listeria, those kinds of things that they don't have to send out in culture. Mm -hmm. So I think people are, you know, sometimes people get sick and they kind of, oh, I'm just sick to my stomach. And I think that there are greater, there are a number of tools now that allow doctors to kind of drill down. And I think they're, you know, the CDC and other bodies like that have greater ability to link an outbreak over here to an outbreak over there, like by, you know, kind of like a molecular structure thing. So, you know, it's, we live in interesting times. um, But I do think that as there are more and more of those kinds of outbreaks, it will be imperative to, to track our food more effectively. Yeah. There were so many this past year. And every time I hear one, I'm just sitting here feeling lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay, lucked out on that one. Dodge yeah. that bullet. Dodge that bullet. I ate a lot of romaine last year. I, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. And then Brick Street Farms sold out of everything sure. after that happened. I'm sure it was Shannon was like, Woo-hoo. I know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> on a lighter note, what do you like to cook? So I'm I'm a very um, 
avid cook, so I, I went to culinary, so it's a really kind of ironic thing that I've been in this job for all these years where I mostly am eating out. But I, I think I'm very, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you guys are this way too, like I get on a jag, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll cook something, I'll cook the hell out of something for, you know, two months or something. Um, most recently, I'm really into Instant Pot Indian. That's like one oh, of my, nice. and, and part of that is because I my, my close friend circle now, I have like a pescatarian, a vegan, a vegetarian, <laughs> and, a, and a gluten-freer, you know, mm-hmm. so knock yourself out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what, do you, what on earth do you serve those people? So I, I end up doing a lot of like, you know, kind of, you, you can make a bunch of different dishes in an instant pot, you right. know, like chana masala or like a lentil dal or, you know, like the, the very famous butter chicken from the butter chicken lady. Mm. Um, so that, I think that's something I cook a lot. I, I think I also just when I am cooking, I am eating generally way more healthfully than I would eating out. I mean, I think that's one thing that yeah, we, right, totally. you know, um, I, I don't make a lot of desserts at home. I don't, you know, right. it's not a lot of. I don't eat desserts out either. I yeah. hardly ever eat desserts. Yeah, well, I have to. I mean, that's, you do. That's part I know. Of the deal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think I'm I'm a fairly health conscious cook at home. But um, and I, bread, I'm definitely bread is one of my little fetish projects always. Nice. Yeah, I mean, we try to not eat too much bread. We don't. We rarely eat it. But then there's certain places where you just you have, have to. to. Eat the bread. El Retorno being one of them. That yeah. bread is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Reading room too. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And, so we're going to wrap up with a lightning round real quick. Okay. There's, so it's either or questions. I kind of stole it from Bon Appetit podcast. Good. Yeah. <laughs> olive oil or butter? Oh, I like them both so much. I guess I'll go olive oil just for, for, for um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'll stick with olive oil. Okay. Lemon or lime? Lemon. In, regarding pickles, dill or sweet? Dill. Thai or Indian? <sighs> That's like... Which kid do you like? <laughs> I'll, I'll go Indian, but they're both good. Yeah. Ranch or blue cheese? Blue cheese. Bacon or sausage? Bacon. Cheddar or Swiss? Mm, cheddar. Ketchup or mustard? Mm, what kind of mustard? Aha. Uh-huh. Yellow. Yellow. Oh, then ketchup. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What kind of mustard do you like? Well, Dijon or like, mm-hmm. a, like a grainy kind of mustard. Yeah, grainy is good. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Ribeye or filet mignon? Oh, ribeye, faux show. Yeah, nobody's nobody has said filet mignon yet ever. <laughs> yeah, and that, then you know that you don't want to have those people back. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Laura Riley, thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. Oh, thanks the for having Tampa me today. Tampa Bay Times is losing a good one, and the Washington Post is getting a great new journalist. Yes, thank best you. of best of luck to you. Thanks. Yes, We're, we will subscribe to your column. Good. Thank you. Thanks. We will be right back. This is Chris Walker, and you're listening to CP Foodies Podcast. We were invited to Altamari's friends and family event prior to the opening. What a gorgeous interior. It feels elegant and airy with a coastal feel. We got to try some delectable dishes such as the egg, the Hawaiian ahi and tuna foie, which is done tataki style, and the crispy hamachi collar. What did you think of those, Kevin? It was excellent. It looks a little uh, odd at first, but don't let that scare you. It looks like a fishtail. It's not. It's the collar, and it's actually super juicy and tender. After this preview, we simply can't wait for our next visit to Altomari Fish Bar. So get yourselves to Altomari today for a taste of the deep sea. Altamare Fish Bar is located at 300 Beach Drive in downtown St. Petersburg. They open every day at 4 p.m. Welcome back to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Our music segment, which showcases local artists, is brought to you by One Step Media and Kate Reuter. One Step Media provides management, marketing, and booking services to independent artists, and Kate herself is also a singer-songwriter. Today, our musical guest is Judy Jean. They are a duet based out of St. Petersburg, Florida. Together, singers Kelsey Siebert and Wyatt Norton write to perform honest hymns of love and light from the heart, blends of indie, folk, and blues. We will feature the song Voices, which has some great chord voicings and excellent vocal harmonies, but first... We have the Fast Five Foodies questions. Welcome to the show, Kelsey and Wyatt. 
Thank you for having us. We're really excited to be here. Sure we are. So are you ready for the Fast Five Foodies questions? Yes, we're ready. Okay. Indeed. I say say it so serious, but they're not really that serious. (laughs) What's your favorite food? I would have to say anything with cheese. Good good answer. Good answer. (laughs) Very good answer. (laughs) So funny. Cheese sells a lot. That sells it. Yes. Um, Ever since I was a child, sushi. Sushi. Wow. Nice. Yep. Very good. Good for you. I didn't even, I'm a little bit older than you, just a tiny bit, but I didn't even know that sushi existed until I was like 20. I was going to say, that's Me a too. really Me advanced too. palate for yeah. a child. Yeah, yeah. well. Now Mom and Dad, I want sushi. We're yeah. expecting a lot from you now for the rest of these questions. My son eats sashimi. <laughs> He's eaten it since he was young. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, I should tell you too, we used to, I would order a California roll with no vegetables for ah. the first, probably until I was like 14. <laughs> <laughs> just give me, just give me the... The protein. Yeah, he doesn't eat the rolls at all. He just eats sashimi. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> what is your least favorite food? You go first on that one. It's not like I despise them, but I've never been big on hot dogs. I don't understand what people <laughs> love about hot dogs. That's like, funny. I, I just can't do it. Is, is there a vegan hot dog? Vegan hot dogs I love. Is there, do they have one at Cider Press? Uh, we have a bratwurst. It's phenomenal. Oh, okay. Cool. And, yeah. yeah, I was told by a guy who owns his own deli in New York that ours is better. Wow. Really? And he was wow. sincere. He meant it. I was like, wow. That's cool. I, funny, funny thing is, I just, uh, we just published the uh, just five this, best yeah, hot morning. dogs. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so what would be yours? I would say uh, beef stroganoff. That's very specific. But my dad used to make it all the time when I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, I can never eat it again. There you go. When, when, when you have something that specific, it's usually a case but like Yes. That. Yeah. Is it because you're over it or because he made it so well you can't find it that way? Oh, let's just else. go with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That reminded me, uh, salmon is actually my least favorite food because my parents tried to force feed me that oh, my wow. whole childhood too, and they're sorry for that now, but yeah, I can't do salmon. Okay. I can do he, raw salmon. He can do I was raw, say, yeah. Even sashimi, yeah, I, I, I don't like cooked salmon either, but I love sashimi. Yeah. I'm getting better at liking it. But I made yeah. cooked salmon for you. And you you did, it. you did. Oh. <laughs> That's funny. What's your favorite restaurant in St. Pete? I would say mine is Cassis. I love their... Uh, their French American food. Mm-hmm. Do you have Delicious. any favorite favorite items there? Well, I've had a lot of their uh, lunch items. Uh, I don't think it's on the menu anymore, but they used to do an open faced chicken sandwich, and it was just mm-hmm. the best. Um, but I really like their fresh fish when they do their okay. dishes. Yeah, great. How about you, Wyatt? I would say if like I wanted to go somewhere for my birthday or something, I've only eaten the, eaten there once or twice, but the mill. The mill, yeah. yeah, it's right over there. Yep, yep. <laughs> the mill is awesome. They uh, definitely have my two thumbs up. Awesome. <laughs> it's very hearty. Yeah. Salt or pepper? Salt. Salt, definitely. Right. Uh, after my okay. own heart. <laughs> Three against one over here. So, interestingly enough, I noticed that the logo for Judy Jean has the band name inside of a cast iron skillet. So. Yes. I want to know about that, but it also goes with the next question. Okay. Can you cook? Yes. We, uh, we love to cook when we have time. Since we're both in service industry, it's a little hard to get on the same schedule to cook meals for each other. But we always have a frying uh, a skillet on the, oven, or on the stove. So we are constantly throwing stuff in there and kind of mixing it up. Um, awesome. But the, uh, the band name, Judy Jean, and the skillet, the significance of that is our grandmother's names are Judy and Jean. And they uh-huh. both uh, sadly passed away, like, uh, two days for, apart from each other, which wow. is crazy. Oh, wow. And it was both the matriarchs of our family. So, and they both always used a cast iron skillet, of course. So that was just kind of like an easy thing for us to put together. Well, that's nice. Cast iron skillets are awesome. People yeah. don't use them enough. And may Judy and Jean rest in peace. Yes. Yeah. Yep. An honor to them, and also to just keep that old fashioned mom and pop feel to the band. Right. That's great. I that's love awesome. that. So uh, we are going to play a song in a moment, but you guys also have a gig, upcoming gig soon. Yep. Next weekend. Uh, March 10th, we're opening up for the Currys, who are from Virginia. They definitely seem to have a great following. Their uh, indie folk family band is the way they describe themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kate Reuter got us on that show, which we're very happy and uh, thankful for. Yay, Kate. Yay. (laughs) And that's uh, that's in Ybor City. It is. Uh, It's the attic at Rock Brothers, and Rock Brothers is a uh, brewing company. Yeah. Brewing. So it's above that. And that's Sunday, March 10th, 
from 8 to 10.30. There yeah. you go. So make sure you go, go and see Judy Jean, uh, Kelsey and Wyatt here. And the song we are going to play, I picked it because I loved the chords and the vocal harmonies. Awesome. I want to know which, what some of those chords are. My old bandmate Nano taught me how to play some jazz chords, and I wrote that cool. song after that. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. So yeah, I was earlier on when we were doing this. I used to try to I used to figure out the chords of the songs, but I haven't had time lately. <laughs> <laughs> and you have some great vocal harmonies in there. What is the song about? Voices is about. Um, actually, Kelsey and I, when we first started dating and started playing music together, my old band was breaking up, and we had lived together for four years. Four dudes. You, in a, you guys are the band. The band. The band. Yeah. Wow. We lived together for four you, years. I know band, bands are like relationships, oh, and that man. one you were living yeah. together it was really like a relationship. Yeah, we all learned that. And, uh, <laughs> we, we love each other. I mean, we're still all like brothers, and it was a great time. But um, Voices was basically about what I was going through towards the end of our band breaking up and wanting to uh, start a relationship with Kelsey and keep doing music, but maybe take a different approach and the whole... I hear voices in this house. All these noises cancel each other out. It was basically just talking about how the four dudes can't get one Talk, thing on the same other. table <laughs> together. and It's all just canceling oh, wow. each other out. That's a cool story. Yeah, it is. And Very it's cool. a great song. Just before we play it, uh, we find you guys online on Facebook at facebook.com slash judygenefl. Yep. yep. J-U-D-Y-J-E-A-N-F-L. And that'll be linked on the uh, blog post page for this episode. Very awesome. cool. Yeah, thanks for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Here we are with Voices. that Devin the dude laugh. Simple things and feel the sorts of joy it brings. Look what you found. We'd like to give a shout out to a couple of listeners that we ran into this past weekend. First is Heidi Kipkowski. She was walking her dog when we were on our way to Tony Doria's birthday party at Cage Brewing. 
Heidi came over and said hello and that she enjoy, enjoys listening. Then on Sunday, we were at Beantown Pub for a party for the band, the Dropkick Murphys. They just had a concert at Janice on Monday. And we saw Stacy Danino, and she told us that she listens to every show. And actually, Heidi said she listens to every show, too. Thank you both, Heidi and Stacy, for listening. And we can't leave out Nola Purplecat. Uh, that's not her real name, though. Her real name is Nola Blue Dog. Thank you, Nola, for listening. And by the way, if you happen to see us roaming around St. Pete, please feel free to come over and say hello. Uh, let us know that you, that you listen to the show, and we'll give you a shout-out. We have uh, two new posts on stpetersburgfoodies.com since last week. We have the five best hot dogs in St. Petersburg. And I ate all of them, by the way. And can somebody get me a glass of water, please? Pinellas Aleworks is a new write-up. We actually hung out there this past Sunday, got our dog washed and our nails clipped. That's uh, Lola, by the way. And she's here when we record and greets everybody at the door. We tried like nine different beers and they were all amazing. So check out the write-up of Pinellas Aleworks on stpetersburgfoodies.com. We give you all of the info on the place, plus have uh, three specific beer reviews that are uh, full reviews. And I'll remind you that St. Petersburg Foodies is the only local publisher doing complete local craft beer reviews that include food pairings and provide info like ABV percentage, hops and malts used, the nose, mouthfeel, and more, just like a high-end wine review. And we give you the whole backstory on the brewery. Next week, we have Kelly from Pizza Box, so stay tuned for that. And to comment on the show by email, you can write to lunchbox at stpetersburgfoodies.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Player FM. And there's others as well. If you have a voice-activated home assistant, you can also play us on Apple HomePod, Amazon Echo, and Google Home. This is Danielle Moore, and you're listening to the St. Pete Foodies Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest, Laura Riley. And thanks to our sponsors, Anata Restaurant and Wine Bar, their sister restaurant, Altomari Fish Bar, and Engine Number no. 9, where you can get some of the best burgers in St. Pete. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News, and our intro music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other podcast app, please give us a rating, and also remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until, Until next, next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. Salad. Must you care for another bottle of the Chateau Latour? Ah, uh, yes, but no more 1966. Let's splurge. Bring us some fresh wine, the freshest you've got this year. No more of this old stuff. Oui, monsieur. He doesn't realize he's dealing with sophisticated people here.